Thank you for joining us today for TEDCO Talks, a new series featuring thought leaders in economic development from across the state of Maryland. Join TEDCO CEO, Troy Lamel Stovall, in thought-provoking conversations with regional leaders about the future of Maryland's innovation ecosystem. In this episode, Troy is joined by Claire Broda Johnson of the Maryland Momentum Fund. Listen now to learn more about Claire and the role she plays in supporting Maryland and DC's entrepreneurial community. Hello everyone and happy, happy new year. Uh, this is Troy Lamel Stovall, the CEO of TEDCO. Yes, I'm still celebrating uh, the new year. Uh, even more excited about our guests, which I'll introduce in a moment. But let me uh, first say, again, I won't keep these on all day because I can't see through them anyway, but <laughs> happy new year. Um, you know, 2020 was what it was. And, you know, we need to, as, as many of you have heard me talk about that, uh, we at TEDCO invest in hope. And what we've got to do is hope that 21 uh, produces uh, a definite change and a different difference in what we experienced in 20. And we can there were many of you have suffered, I know, a number of personal and professional challenges, and I, and I don't want to pretend to downplay those. Uh, and I pray that things do get better, either personal or professional for you and your family. But we also have to look at what 20 taught us as well, and, and that we learn from that, and that we bring that into 21, and we make 21 and beyond uh, much better. So with that, I, I think this, that's just a great intro for, for, my, for my friend and, and colleague, uh, who I'm, I'm excited, Claire Johnson, who runs the the Maryland Momentum Fund. Claire, thank you for agreeing to be my first guest in 2021. Uh, really thank appreciate you, you uh, being here today. I uh, look forward to our chat today. So why don't we just start with a little bit about Claire. Uh, how did Claire get to, you know, Claire running the Momentum Fund and, and doing what you do right now? Sure, thanks Troy, and thanks so much for having me today and Happy New Year to everybody. I'm happy to say goodbye to 2020 and start with the new 2021. Um, so I've been a serial entrepreneur most of my career in the clean energy space. Uh, I moved to Baltimore in 2002 after business school, worked for Constellation. A little business school called HBS. It's a little, 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 little school. Yeah. Yep. And I was had planned on going down to Enron after business school because that's where I was before. And there was no Enron to go back to after, yeah. after it blew up in, in uh, 01. So I wound up here at Constellation. And then I founded Sun Edison from here in 2003 with a, my colleague and partner at the time, Jigger Shaw. Um, then spent a couple of years at the federal government where I was responsible for deploying a bunch of the stimulus package at the Department of Energy. And I really love building and growing companies. I love the operations and business development and fundraising and financing. And so I spent several years flying back and forth to Boston and to California to start clean energy companies. And so pivoted to this a little over a year ago uh, in July of 2019, actually. Mm -hmm. To, because of a couple reasons. One, um, as an entrepreneur, I've actually really done very little business in the state of Maryland. And for personal reasons, we want to stay here. And I'd really like to help do my part to build the entrepreneurial community here. And also, I really love building companies. And so this is a nice platform by which to do it. I don't have any affiliation with the University System of Maryland. Right. Um, but, you know, it's a great university with a lot of interesting ideas coming out of it. And so I get to help support building companies for these entrepreneurs and invest in them as well. That's it. I forgot you and I, when we chatted, I forget to even tell you, you know, I think I told you I grew up in Houston. So I know all about Enron and I did a little work at Enron. You know, it's, um, we can talk offline. That, that's, that's a great story of hubris, yeah. <laughs> uh, of, of, of just a lot of really smart people combined with hubris, combined with 
frankly, a lack of value. They had values, but a lack of institutional values that really died. Uh, yeah, I mean, we could spend a long time talking about it. a lot of super, super bright people. It was yep. a fantastic yep. way to start my career. I learned so much from there. Um, definitely not the easiest to be a female there. Definitely not the easiest to be a Democrat there. There's a lot of a lot of learnings, but uh, but super interesting, super bright people. And, Absolutely. and a bunch of us Enron alums still keeping good cut in touch. Yep, no, I'm the same, same with being being from Houston and, and doing some work there when I was at McKinsey. So we did quite, McKinsey did a quite a bit of work there. Oh yeah. Yeah. So um, you, you've mentioned a couple of times, but uh, many of our viewers may not, or listeners may not know about the Momentum Fund. So I want to tell a little bit more about what the Momentum Fund does uh, and obviously its relationship to TEDCA. Yep, awesome. So uh, the Momentum Fund was founded by the Board of Regents. It's a $10 million fund, the Board of Regents at the University System of Maryland with two purposes. One, of course, is to make money so we can invest in our early stage startups and two, to help build and grow the entrepreneurial community in Maryland and specifically support University System of Maryland, employees, um, students, professors, alums. And so it's a $10 million fund. We invest in pre-seed to up to Series A uh, companies. We typically invest between $250,000 and $500,000. We're industry agnostic. So I look at aquaculture and therapeutics and med tech and education technology and consumer products and anything that comes my way, which is great and really interesting and intellectually stimulating also requires a lot of expertise. So mm -hmm. what I do is I bring in expert panelists. I just had one this morning. Um, so bring people who are real experts in their field, either entrepreneurs or potential investors or customers of the company that we're doing due diligence on. So it's really exciting. I've run 35 expert panels so far. Um, we have an advisory board of people that a lot of your listenership will will know of. If you want to learn more about our process, you can go to momentum.usmd.edu to learn more about our advisory board and our process. And then in terms of how we relate to TEDCO, I mean, we do a lot of due diligence on similar companies. And so mm -hmm. the companies that come out of TEDCO's builder fund, we may consider investing uh, in. Uh, we often co-invest alongside Maryland, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, we often co-invest <laughs> alongside the Maryland Venture Fund. Yep. Um, yep doing one uh, soon in the therapeutic space. And so, you know, support lots of Tedco companies and several of our portfolio companies did go through Tedco. You want to talk about one or two of the portfolio companies you kind of want to highlight? Sure. Verilox is one of the therapeutics companies we're really excited about. Um, based in Frederick, Maryland, uh, Jeff Stravel is a University of Maryland Baltimore graduate. There's no intellectual property from UMB but he's a grad and um, we're super excited about the possibilities in our investment that we made in mid 2019, it was a $500,000 investment. And um, prior to our investment, they were having a hard time raising funds. And, you know, we helped them. This is actually before my time, David Wise, my predecessor, mm -hmm. did yeoman's work working with Verilox and the Verilox team is really, really bright and competent and just really good human beings. But after we made our investment, Sanofi and uh, G, um, TDRF JD1 invested in them. It was a $5.4 million round and we're gonna do a follow-on round, uh, bridge round soon along with Maryland Venture Fund. Cool, cool. Yeah, and obviously, yes, we, we're, we're a player with Verilox and we think, we think very highly of Verilox. So we appreciate yeah. momentum support of them. So why don't you tell folks a little bit about, I think you, we, you use that word serial entrepreneur. Um, and some people may not understand what that really means. Why don't you tell about what, when, you, when you say you're a serial entrepreneur, what does that mean? 
Sure. I mean, I think it's it, it's really for people who love building things. I love building companies. I am not necessarily the ideator, the person who has the idea, but I love being the chief bottle washer and figuring out how to hire and figuring out how to do our marketing and figuring out how we're going to raise money and putting together a business plan and a business development strategy and putting all the pieces together. And mm-hmm. it takes a certain type of person who's a risk-taking person who is interested in starting up their own company. Um, so they have, you know, sort of has fire under their belly, fire in their belly, and is interested and and excited about putting everything on the line. Um, you know, entrepreneurs are of all ilks. So I I can't say I represent the entire serial entrepreneur community, but certainly I love building companies, and you know, I will build a company again. So I think, I guess, what I want to hear folks hear hear, hear you talk about, because uh, I think we a lot of the newspaper, a lot of the media focuses on founders and the founders of these. Uh, but as you just talked about, there are those who are you know, employees number two, three, four, five, six, who are yeah. the builders of, of these great ideas. So it doesn't have to, you know, I think people view that entrepreneurship has to be the person who is the, the founder or the primary owner or the, the one with the idea. But you just said that's not, necess- that's not necessarily the definition of being an entrepreneur. You need both, right? And there's a business school books that will will uh, uh, talk about that quite a lot. But I mean, you need the person who has the idea, but the person who has the idea often can't execute himself or herself out of a brown paper bag. They're ideators, they're people who have fabulous ideas, but they can't necessarily execute. And then there's people who are executors like me. I love building and I love, you know, growing teams and getting into the weeds and doing deal due diligence and documentation management and all that stuff. Those people don't necessarily have fabulous ideas and you need both. To, there's a book called Rocket Fuel. Rocket Fuel. Mm-hmm. Just that. Um, and, you know, founders are of all types. So I, I think it becomes a bit arbitrary. I mean, it's really a company is never just one person. Mm-hmm. A company is a, is a small community and whether or not they grow well together is, you know, whether or not people want to invest in them. No, I love that. I love it because you and I have talked about, you know, the, one of the axioms in, in the venture space is always invest in. A quality people that may have a B quality plan, but never the reverse. Yes, and, and, and that's 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 you're emphasizing that in a different way. Yeah, I think it's it, it's both having A quality people and then A quality people who are coachable. A, yeah, about that as well. I mean, I, that is what as an investor, that's one of my prime requirements: is is this uh, entrepreneur or set of entrepreneurs willing to listen and willing to grow? willing to take advice, whether it's positive or negative and figure out what to do with it. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So you said you started in July of 2019. So I'm yeah. sure Claire had her, had her plan, you know, sound like you're a planner, you got all of everything. And then you come into 2020 and this thing in March hits and all of a sudden something happens in the March of, March of 2020 and the plans go out the door. So talk to us about how COVID has impacted both Claire, how Claire leads, how Claire manages and how that's impacted the momentum fund. Sure. I mean, frankly, we're very lucky in the sense that it hasn't really negatively impacted. It's going to be companies that need money, right? So we're never going to not have deal flow. We're never not. <laughs> Everybody always needs money. I, I There have been a number of studies, and if for folks that are interested, feel free to reach out to me, but there have been a number of national studies about how well VCs are doing during COVID. And the sort of national average is, is they're at about 80% of total capacity. Mm-hmm. It isn't that bad. Um, if you look 
regionally is very different. And if you look at different industry verticals, it's very different. So certainly the consumer product space has been hit dramatically. The education technology space is going through the roof. Um, Life sciences depends on what you need to do and what sort of lab work you need to be doing. Labs were shut down for a while, right? Do all of the studies you needed to do. If you need FDA approval, some of that has gotten delayed or what, you know, so it's really industry specific in terms of momentum fund. I mean, there are still plenty of companies that need funding. So I haven't had a dearth of that. Unfortunately, you know, we could talk about this a long time too, but I've, there's plenty of companies that I've now invested in where I've never physically met the CEO. And so investing, you know, $250,000 in a company where one of my prime criteria is, is that CEO comfortable? Is, is really quite hard on Zoom. I mean, we're all learning to be Zoom masters, but it feels very different. So I would say, you know, I'm really, really looking forward to seeing human people <laughs> in person and not in two dimensions. But, you know, it, it's, um, it's a fact of our lives right now. It is. Our issue, of course, is how much money are we going to get for the Momentum Fund in the future? And that remains to be seen. The university system, you know, isn't bringing in the tuition that it was bringing in before. So that's a problem or, you know, a bridge we're going to have to cross when we get to it. I hear you. No, it's funny you mentioned that. I mean, I have been the CEO of Tedco since uh, when I got hired in July. I have yet to meet my chair, chairwoman of the board. I've yet to that's meet crazy. Her. Exactly. It's crazy. You got to meet her. She's fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had great guys. We talked yeah. you know, multiple times in a day, but I have not physically met her. Right. Right. And it's, it's not, uh, not disrespect it full to anyone. It's just a really strange way of being a human being is that everything is in two dimension on this little laptop of mine, you know? Has, has though, so I appreciate this. So has, has anything changed in terms of how companies, you know, you, you mentioned the, the issue of the challenge of being able to invest in a person that you haven't physically met. And so that, yeah. that, that clues, but are there any other challenges that have been presented to you because of, of this space that we're in now? Um. I would say it's more opportunities in the sense that, you know, chaos brings opportunities. So mm-hmm. digital healthcare applications, we're seeing them up the wazoo. There's so many, you know, never before did you ever think you would see your general practitioner on a Zoom call. And now it's sort of status quo. So there's tons of opportunities in the digital healthcare space. And I know there's many, many people who, and you know, uh, Mark Comiskey and others, you know, lots of others who are trying to make Baltimore the digital healthcare hub mm-hmm. in the United States, and we have all of the right raw material to do so. So, I mean, I, I I wouldn't say challenges as much as, you know, entrepreneurs are sort of by default an optimistic group, <laughs> and they are trying to figure out new opportunities in this crazy world we live in. No, that's a great that's a great segue to the point. You know, I think you and I have talked about is you know as, as you look at this and you can, I'm not trying to diminish because I said earlier diminish, but you know when we came out of 9/11, the definition of normal got changed around security, around airport security, around uh, building security, and 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 I you know I tell the story. You know, if we you know think about it, when we were traveling after 9/11, we all had to buy a little three ounce bottle that we yeah. all had to buy. And you know, talking about being an entrepreneur, if we I know about you, but if I had invested in a, that three, the molding company that made that three ounce bottle, I probably, probably wouldn't be talking to you right now. Something different. But the, the point is what you just talked about is what's that, what's that three ounce bottle that's coming out of COVID? That's the behavioral changes that we all are experiencing. There's going to be a new normal, you know, and I think it's, 
I actually, my language in this class, if you agree, is we, we got to stop saying, when are we going to return to normal? We got to start saying, when are we going to see what we're going to be next? next? Because yeah. there's not going to be a return to what was in February. That's, that, that, that's, that's a pipe dream, in my opinion. We've got to start being realistic about what is the future. And then the question gets to be, again, back to the three-ounce bottle, what are the three-ounce bottle example that's either emerging or about to emerge that you know, Momentum and Tedco can identify and invest in in Maryland? Sure. I mean, I think digital healthcare is one of the many. Mm-hmm. I think the way that commercial real estate's being used is going to be completely different. I mm-hmm. see many of us going back to a work environment five days a week. It'll be mm-hmm. a hybrid model. It'll somehow look different. And depending on your industry, you know, mm-hmm. um, the way that we buy products, the fact that Amazon comes to everyone's house X times a day is insane, right? So how we move packages from place to place, I think, um, you know, how life sciences work. Um, The fact that these vaccines for COVID have gotten passed and approved so quickly is really astounding. I mean, the most brilliant virologists in the country didn't foresee it happening as quickly as it did. So, I mean, a lot of things are going to change and and a lot of them for the good. I think people are starting to care more about climate change and they're saying, well, I don't really need to drive my car all the time. Mm -hmm. And we don't need to use as much gas and electricity as we used before. And, you know, there's, I think a lot of those things are for the good, frankly. Absolutely. But I also think, you know, just like, you know, there's a tragedy of the commons and not paying you public goods and all of that. I also think that we have absolutely no idea as a society what the toll, so sociological, psychological toll is going to be for so many of the millions of Americans who don't have access to so much. I have two little kids in school and schooling from home is not good for children. No one thinks it is. And so, you know, there will not be a new normal, but there's going to have to be tools and the, the society that we live in are going to ha- is going to have to find solutions for hoping and helping children, old people, you know, all, everyone who has been negatively impacted that we actually haven't even seen because there's not any focus on it right now. No, and I, to your point, I, one of the commentaries I make on your exact point is uh, I look at, you know, I just came out of the higher ed space and the yeah. freshman class, those that did go to the, the schools, I, I already you know, when you look at your, back on your times when you were in college, not only is it an academic, but it's a socialization and, and, a, and a maturity. And that first year to two is when you really meet your lifelong friends, right? When you meet those individuals. And more importantly, for me, you know, I meet, I meet the, the, the rich white guy from, you know, from Beverly Hills, right? Or, yeah. or, or I meet the Indian one. I meet people outside of my little echo chamber, right? That's right. And the point I'm going at is that this class of freshmen have, has lost that ability to meet outside of their echo chamber because they were either stayed at home or they were stuck in their residence halls on their campuses. So I, my, my concern is that the, we won't know the impact of that for another 10 to 15 years when they're out and they're professionals and they don't have that socialization or those networks as deep as they could have had, but for COVID happening this year. That's right, that's right. And then we could of course go down the rabbit hole. I don't know if you want to on a TEDCO call, but you know, but about, the eco chambers that exist now because of social media, because of us are only getting information from social media. You're not opening a physical newspaper and seeing, wow, this isn't an article I would have clicked on, but I see it. So I'm going to read it. Right. I mean, so we're all talking to each other only with people who 
think exactly what we think. And that's causing a lot of anger and frustration across the United States and worldwide. Well, that that does lead to it is a little rabbit hole. We do want to go down. I mean, one of the things that COVID, no, one of the things that COVID did did expose expose a lot of things is the the social uh, the social unrest. It exposed the social uh, inequities uh, that that exist. And you know, then so I guess to to make it more tangent, you know, how has you know what has momentum thought about around this this that that particular topic, diversity and inclusion, and what are anything specific you guys are doing to to address it? Yeah, great question. So. I think every single person has unconscious bias, right? And I, you know, I am a big fan. I've been reading a lot and I, you know, personally have been subject to all sorts of issues because I've been a female in the clean energy space and I'm a petite person and people just ramrod over me. And it's, you know, it's not, it has not been a fun career. And I have stories I could share with you that could make your head roll. I started in investment banking where I was in m oil and gas and the only female on the floor that was not a secretary. And you can imagine what all was going on, right? So, and that was, you know, years ago, but it still happens. Um, and so I am an quote unquote other from that respect, but I also am very cognizant of the privilege that I have because I'm a white person and I'm an educated person and I've been afforded a lot of opportunities, tons of opportunities that other people have not. So I think the faster that we all get to a place where we realize we all have bias from wherever we're coming from, and we all have a certain amount of tools and that we all need to put as many tools in our toolbox as possible so that when the opportunity arises, we can take advantage of that opportunity, the better. So more specifically to your question, um, six of the 25 investments that we've made have been in uh, founders who are female. Um, that's not enough, but it's way higher than the VC national average. Yep. Is that because of my unconscious bias? Because I want to support female entrepreneurs? Very possibly, right? I mean, I, is it because I speak to them in a way that's more reasonable? Is it because I understand them better? I mean, these are all things that we can unpack for hours and hours. Only one of our entrepreneurs is an African-American entrepreneur. All of our other entrepreneurs are white or Asian men, Indian, Asian men. And um, that's a problem, right? And so... Uh, what are we doing to try and change it? I have added a much more diverse group of people to our advisory board. We've joined HBCU VC and I have returned um, from that. Um, I am looking at a bunch of companies I never would have looked at before. And I want to hear from every entrepreneur. I mean, part of my role, I'm not just a mercenary VC. Part of my role is to try to help support early stage entrepreneurs. And I spend an extraordinary amount of, of my time supporting entrepreneurs who are not ready for our investment, but could be if they get the right mentorship and support. Not dissimilar to your builder fund, mm -hmm. I'm a fan of your builder fund. I think it makes a lot of sense to give some of these very early startups money and mentoring advice and support. And I spend a lot of time giving mentoring advice and support and try to do it in a, as unbiased a way as possible. But we all need to be much more um, considerate and thoughtful about being more inclusive and including more people and recognizing we have these biases and trying to counter them. All I can say, Claire, is amen, uh, pass the plate. Um, you know, I saw an article, a couple of things. I saw an article um, if you, I should send to you if you hadn't seen it. It was in the uh, Times, New York Times, that, um, that because of COVID, the whole notion of Christmas parties was, was pretty much going away. And they interviewed several ladies who were saying, thank God. 
because you know, at these Christmas parties, they talked a number about the investment banks and, you know, that this is like one night a year is kind of the Las Vegas thing. What happens here stays here. And just, oh, yeah. you know, and so many women were saying, I got to spend, you know, these are like some of the lower paper that I got to spend this money to get all gussied up to, to not have a good time. <laughs> and to get harassed. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, is that they got that there's no Christmas parties this year is, is basically yeah. what the article said. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's real, it's real and it's real in very different ways for very different people, but it, it sucks. It sucks being the other and being told you're incompetent or unable or whatever, just because of what you look like. Look like. I'll do whatever I can to change that. Yeah. Yeah. We can, I think we can go on. I can talk all about that as well, you know, and uh, yeah, but on the unconscious bias, it's funny. You, I like the, the way you frame it because you're right. And even what we're doing at Tedco is, is being more analytical. We, we've, we've created a new data set, so we now know more details around ownership and sea level of our firms and tracking yep. that and actually tracking even those that come in through the pipeline to ask ourselves to the point you just brought up, making sure there's no unconscious bias in what we're doing in terms of companies that are coming through the door of Tedco um, right. that we're looking. And then the last piece of it is, uh, again, look, I'm an engineer, computer scientist by training, so I get it. Um, but I also get that there aren't a lot of blacks in some of these, particularly things like life sciences and like cyber. Um, but there is the role for technology can play in some of these enterprises that blacks might have an opportunity to go into. And so sure. we've got to be more open. So I've, I've, I've had a number of conversations, for instance, with uh, VCs around, you know, there's a multi-billion dollar space called black hair care, women, black hair care. Yeah. That, is, that is basically chemical engineering 101, okay? And I mean, there's a large technology piece to it that has not been tapped into. Uh, and I remind people, the first black um, millionaire in this country was Madam C.J. Walker off of, off of hair care. Yeah. And so it's, it's the, to your point, it's, 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 it's being able to look at these opportunities with a different lens, with a person who is in, in control that they can say, I want to look at that because I think there's something that's scalable there. Absolutely. And it requires working with partners. So Jeff Cherry at Conscious Venture Lab is a dear mm -hmm. friend and on our advisory board, and he's looking at super interesting stuff. I've um, judged panels, I've judged business plan contests for OpenWorks and at Bowie State, uh, all, all young African-American women, you know, all sorts of places because they, you know, all need support and guidance. And there's a lot of really interesting ideas. And again, chaos breeds opportunity. So I love it. You know, especially right now. So as we close, let's have a little fun and let's find a little bit more about Claire. How about uh -oh. that? <laughs> so um, I'm gonna do this in two pieces. First, I'm gonna say a couple of words and then you're gonna give me first thing that comes to mind. How about that? All right. Momentum. Fun. <laughs> Clean energy. The future. HBS. Uh, land of opportunity. <laughs> I love it. 2021. Um, hope. So, so these are more questions about Claire. Claire's uh, either favorite book or last book read. Ooh, favorite book. Um, Isabel Wilkerson's The Warmth of Other Suns. It's about the great migration. From the great migration. It's beautiful. And I, I just bought Cased. I'm looking forward to reading that one too. Good. Favorite hobby. Working out, my Peloton and swimming right now. <laughs> Favorite color? Blue. And the last one, best holiday memory. Oh, wow. Um, 
gosh. New Year's with my husband in Inner Harbor. Oh, look at that. Any closing thoughts from you, Ms. Claire? I'm just, I'm really excited that you're here at TEDCO now. And I really feel strongly that there are lots of people in this community that want to support entrepreneurs and support the building of the startup community. And I just really feel strongly that if we work together, we're all going to do way better than if we work separately. And so I want to talk to and work with any entrepreneur I can find that I can fund. And I want to work with organizations like TEDCO and everyone else around the state because we only get better if we work together. There you go. And, and just to emphasize Claire's last point, you know, I, I believe that uh, we will build a, a stronger and bigger innovation culture here in Maryland if we make it smaller, if we make the gaps between any two of us or any two organizations smaller. By making us talk smaller and tighter, uh, we actually get bigger. So that's the oxymoron. That's the, the, uh, the different way to think about that. So you're right. The more we can work together, uh, and make those degrees of separation smaller, the bigger we'll and better we'll become. So Claire, right. thank you. Thank you for your time. I appreciate thank you. Thank you, Troy. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Again, this is Troy Lamel Stovall with Teco Talks. Again, Happy New Year to everybody and see you next week. Thank you, Claire. Thank you. Thanks again for listening. And a special thank you to our guest, Claire Broda Johnson, for joining in today's discussion. For more information on Teco and its activities, Check us out at www.tedcomd.com. If you enjoyed today's discussion, consider sharing and subscribing to Techco Talks.